Good morning, everybody. Today, Mr. Hashem, we'll be learning Daf Kuf Gimel in Maseches Babakama. We left, off, we left off four lines up from the wide on Kuf Bezim and Bez. Uh, thank you for coming in on this storm, gentlemen. Uh, speaking of which, um, Bez Yaakov is having their uh, winter break. So, Ayel Bez, Rat Hashem, be in Florida. We're going to check out everybody, Ephraim Goldberg, see what that's about over Shabbos. And then um, I'll be back a week from today. So, that's Tuesday. Okay, Bezrat Hashem. And, uh, okay, Andrew sends regards to Ben Shapiro. Fair enough. So here we go. Mat Giflar of Oshia. Okay, in the meantime, uh, shout out. Oh, yeah, what were we talking about? The Bnei Eretz Yisrael, right? The boys from Marava. So shout out to Zalmi, who went to Marava, actually. And Ori, there in Israel for their first anniversary. And... Um, we should have four gazan from Everybody in Eretz or all our people there, and uh, all all the people in Eretz Yisrael should um, have shalom and Yeshua. Okay, so Okay, what's the what was the thing? What was the message from the name Arava over here? They said the Israeli rabbis were saying that what good is it to how can you have a situation? All of these situations are sort of an erroneous uh, sale in the sense that the seller, okay, thinks he's selling to somebody, but he's really selling it to somebody else. And the name of says, how does that even work? How does it even work when somebody has the wrong intent? Don't you need to have a das makne would be the yeshivish way of saying it, right? Don't you need to have the proper intent of who you're trying to sell it to in order for a sale to be completed? So... Roshia is not so convinced. He says, You know, in the Mishnah on Erech and Chafalif, we have the following idea of somebody giving over their own value in a, right, that's how Erech works. A person has a set value, that in itself is a weird idea, but they have a set value, and when they give of themselves, right, to the Beis HaMikdash, etc., so they are obligated to pay it. Utnan, watch this. So let's say, right, a person is trying to, is, is vowing, okay, uh, his worth to the base of Mikdash. Memashkin means that the treasurer of the base of Mikdash would take a mashkon, that's what Memashkin means. He would take a collateral against, right, as a security, even against the person who's making the vow's will. Well, In other words, a person, when he makes that, when he makes that uh, statement, that vow, he, he doesn't have, right, an intent that the mashkin, mashkin should be taken from him, which is to say as follows, right? The, the Beis HaMikdash treasurer the, is taking liberties against the person's will, and the Kenyan still works. That's the point. In other words, when a person is making a Kenyan, sometimes they don't necessarily have every intent in mind, but for other, but sometimes we have uh, the authority to assume, right, uh, some of their intentions without them having it in mind. So that's what we were talking uh, lately. What was going? What was going on when when a person is makdish all of his nechasim to the base of mikdash? So we said he's not makdish his wife's and his children's clothing. So we say really maybe it has to do with his intent that that's ein daito shel adam eva. Right? That's how we left off before. That it will take his tefillin, or at least as Rashi explains, the value of his tefillin, because there he thinks he's doing a mitzvah. Right? He's giving over all of his all of his possessions to the to the base of mikdash. 
but his wife's and children's clothing that he doesn't have it in mind. So what we were saying here is like, wait a minute, maybe he doesn't have to have it in mind. Maybe even if he doesn't have it in mind, like with a mashkon, when a person is giving himself over to the base of mikdash. So now we're just answering over here, why would his wife and children's clothing not be included? El Amar Rabbi Abba, kol amakdash nechasav nasa kimi shehikne lahen ksus ishto vanav mikar. This idea of keep of letting the wife and children keep their clothing is a separate idea that anybody who's maktish all of his things, we know it's treated as though he gave all of those clothing to them before he did so. So it's that it's really technically theirs. And so when he's maktish his own things, those clothing of his wife and children are not included because they're no longer considered his things. This is a, this is a thing that we've established in order to allow, um, or I should say, in order to avoid a man by a burst of inspiration giving away his own wife and children's clothing to the base of Mekdash. Okay. But, so now we're going to start a Bryce on the second wide line on Kuf Beis Amid Beis. And we're going to see how that is, that's against the Bnei Marav as follows. This Bryce is very uh, unclear, it's very vague. We're going to analyze it. But in the meantime, it means somebody buys a field in the name of somebody else, right? So that's going to, that implies that the person who's selling it doesn't know that the guy he's, you know, that's in front of him that he's selling to isn't really the guy. Right, so already you know that the bnei, the bnei marav aren't going to be into this. They're going to think that this sale doesn't work. So what's the case? Says the brisa, "Ain kofen limkar." We don't force him to sell. We'll see who that means. Okay, bim amar lo almanas. But if he said to him that I'm only going to buy it on condition that you will sell kofen limkar, then we do force him to sell. So the truth is. If you don't understand it, it's because it's not understandable. This is like a unedited type of brisa that now needs to be explained as follows. Says the Gemara, my Kamar, what is this brisa saying? Amar of Sheshis. Halki Kamar. Okay, so we start with the explanation of Sheshis. Okay, so now we know what's going on. Uh, Barry is buying a field from Andrew, but, but he doesn't want... Andrew, uh, this is very important to understand that we've shown him. Andrew knows he's selling it to Barry, but everyone else, Phil, everyone else is eyeing this field and Barry wants to uh, give the impression that he's buying it on behalf of the Reish Galusa so that none of the other sharks block the sale or give any problems. So he's at literally doing it in the name of Reish Galusa, even though it's not really for the Reish Galusa, but for himself, you understand? Oh. So he faked that it was for the Reish Galusa. That's very important. Says the Gemara, Ein kofen oso Reish Galusa limkor. So again, Barry bought it from Andrew. That was the real sale. But the appearance of the sale in order to make, put the sale through was that Barry's behind, buying it on behalf of the Reish Galusa. Now the question is, do we force the Reish Galusa to give an official, even because in the official sense, it looked like this was purchased on behalf of the Reish Galusa. The Reish Galusa was you know, one of the hot shots in the community. So of course, Barry wanted the, the sale that he was purchasing from Andrew to be beyond reproach. But now, does that person, that Reish Galusa, have to provide like a deed or a bill of sale for, ba- for Barry? Okay, so we say no. That's what the Reish is saying, that we don't make him do that. Um, he, the Reish Galusa can be left out of it. He doesn't have to like write a separate contract to indicate his acknowledgement of Barry's ownership of this property. However, Vim Amar Almanas, this is Rav Sheish is explaining the continuation of the Reisha, that if Barry at the time said to Andrew at the time of the sale, I'm buying this field on the condition that the Reish Galusa will give me this bill of sale. 
then kofanes reish galusa limkar. We're going to force the reish galusa to write a bill of sale from himself to Barry, right? Somehow, if Barry makes that condition, so then we're going to trouble the Reish Galusa, right? The, the Reish Galusa was just minding his own business, sitting in his living room. He didn't know that this transaction was going to happen. But because Barry's transaction with Andrew was on the condition, the Reish Galusa acquiesces, we somehow force the Reish Galusa to do so. Okay? So based off of that, based off of that, uh, again, we force the Reish Galusa to produce, right, a bill of sale from himself to Barry to, right, emphasize that this is Barry's, right, to... Uh, to corroborate the idea that this is actually Barry's purchase. Now, when you, when you read that, that might have an impact on us. Watch this. Amar Mar, we said, based on the Brisa, halokech sadeh b'shem reish galusa, ain't kofanus reish galusa limkor. Right? So the first part of the sale is that we're, of the Brisa is that we're not going to force the reish galusa to get involved and to sell it to the buyer. Right? And so that's fine. But then it says, miklal de miknekanyale. Now, isn't that interesting? That means that indeed, right, we do not, if we don't force the Reish Galusa to sell it, that means that whose is it? Barry's. It's Barry's regardless, right? Barry bought something from Andrew and, and it seems at this point in the Gemara that the Gemara thinks that Andrew thought he was selling it to the Reish Galusa and yet Barry acquires it. Is that not a contradiction to Bnei Marava, says the Gemara? Lema pligo to Bnei Marava, right? Because after all, Bnei Marava said that Andrew can't sell it to Barry unless Andrew knew that Barry was going to be the recipient. Then here, it seems like Andrew thought that the Reish Galusa was the recipient when he sold it. It says, the right? Because that was indeed the statement of the Bnei Marava. They, they were saying this statement that when, right, and when Barry had sent Phil to go get uh, wheat, Right, they, and and it turned out that he was giving it to the wrong, to the wrong person. So then we said, isn't it true that we need to know that the seller needs to know who he's selling it to in order for that Kenyan to take hold? So same question, right? We're bringing in this price that makes it sound like Andrew thinks that he's selling to the Reish Galusa. It turns out that uh, there was no almanas, and therefore the sale is good, even if the Reish Galusa doesn't get involved. And, and the sale works between Andrew and Barry, even though Andrew thinks he's selling it to the Reish Galusa. How does that work? That seems like a contradiction to the name Aravo, who think that Andrew needs to have intent of who he's selling it to. Says the Gemara, that Brisa is not necessarily a challenge to the name Aravo because Imishim Halo Kasha. If it was only because of the Brisa, it would not be difficult. Why? Because really the case is the Baal Sade, right, who's Andrew, who's selling it, he knows that it's going to Barry. And the Adim, right, the Inulus Ahade, the Adim also know. Everybody who really matters in this sale knows that this was a sale between Barry and Andrew. Okay, and that's why the sale works. And therefore, it's not a challenge to name Arava. So, what does Reish Galusa have to do with any of this? Yeah, because Barry gave the impression to the outside world that, it was going, that he was doing it on behalf of the Reish Galusa in order to get the sale um, to, be, to not be blocked. But as far as you know, the people in the inner circle who were in on the deal behind closed doors, they all knew who it was going to, and that's why the sale uh, was working out. Okay. However, El-Ema Seifa, if, if you're going to say that that's the case, that everybody knows that, so then how are you going to stand the remainder of the Brisa within Rav Sheshis? As follows, in the Seifa, it says, Amanas, Kofanos Oresh Galusa Limkor, Amai. In other words, if it's true that behind closed doors, Barry and Andrew know that the sale is between Barry and Andrew. So then why is it that when Barry, for whatever reason, says that I'm only going to make this, buy this 
on the condition that the Reish Galusa can corroborate the sale, why would that force the Reish Galusa to get involved? After all, says the Gemara, I don't want your appreciation. I don't want your depreciation. I don't need to have anything. Leave me out of it, right? Why can't the Why are we forcing the Rish to get involved? He could say, just leave me out of the sale. What does the Rish care about Barry and Andrew's financial dealings? Like, he didn't ask for any of this. So why would we force the Rish to get involved? That's the question. It says the Gemara, Alamar, Bai, I explained so because of this sounds like that's not what the case is in the Brisa. That's not what it means we we force him to sell to sell. It does not mean that we force the Rishgalusa to provide a bill of sale for Barry because it doesn't make any sense. After all, we know that the transactions just between Barry and Andrew, the Rishgalusa can ask to be left out of it and the transaction will work just fine. So that can't be what it meant. Rather, this ambiguous price or vague price must have meant the following. So again, the case is that Barry is buying the field from Andrew in the name of the Reish Galusa. As we arrive at Kuf Achrisi. We don't force Andrew to sell it to Barry a second time. That's what it means. Okay? In other words... If Andrew thinks he's selling it to the Reish Galusa, we don't make him sell it, but really selling it to Barry, we don't make him, Andrew, sign a second deal. But if, right, Barry said to Andrew at the time of the sale, I'm buying this field in condition that you're going to sell it to me a second time. In other words, that's how Barry is getting in on this deal. Everybody's going to block the deal if it was just Barry buying it from Andrew because they're like, Barry, we're, we're going to outbid you. But if they think that Barry is buying it for the Reish Galusa, they're going to let the deal go through. And Barry did a very smart thing. He said to Andrew, right, according to Rabbi's interpretation of the price, so he said to Andrew, I'm buying it on behalf of the Reish Galusa, and the Reish Galusa doesn't care about your property, Andrew. Now that the deal, the deal is done, all the sharks are going to be kind of like put at bay, and everybody's going to take their eye off because they're going to assume that these are the assets of the Reish Galusa now. And then I'm doing it on the condition that now that they're all, right, I beat them all to the deal you're going to subsequently make a second deal with me, right? Now that they're not looking at the deal anymore, uh, to compete with me, they're gonna co- you're going to come and do the deal. That was the Almanaz. Okay, so if you didn't make that stipulation very clear, Barry, then we're not going to force Andrew to sell it to you again. However, if you say Almanaz that it's conditional on the sale, so then they're going to force Andrew, not the Reish Galusa to get involved, we're going to force Andrew to sell it again to Barry. To which Well, so that's what he's saying. If that's the case, then what we're effectively saying in the Bryce, according to Abaye, is that when Barry is buying it on behalf of the Reish Galusa, we don't force, right? If there's no Almanas, if you follow the logic, if there's no Almanas, then we're not forcing Andrew, right, to pay, to, to sell to uh, Barry a second time. Says the Gemara, of course we don't sell, uh, force Andrew to sell to Barry a second time. Pshita, that's obvious. Why would we, why, if you don't say Almanas, are we going to hawk Andrew and make him, f- and force him to sell it another deed, right? Why does he have to produce a second deed? Like the first one just for Barry's kind of benefit and the second one to, re- like, this is not, Andrew doesn't need this extra work. You know, he can have the marketplace determine the value of his property. He doesn't have to do all this extra legwork for Barry. 
says the Gemara, you might have thought that Barry could tell Andrew, you knew I was buying this field for myself. And the only reason I wanted you to make the original deal out to the Reish Galusa is for the extra security, right, to keep away all the competition. And it was understood, right, that I was never going to actually buy this property and throw out the money without getting a proper um, deed of sale from you between you and me, right? In other words, Barry saying to Andrew, honestly, the sale is between you and me, Andrew, says Barry. And therefore, that was implied in the sale, that even though, and he said, you and I, you knew and I knew that this was really between you and me, this sale. I threw in the Reish Galusa just to throw off all the competition. So at the end of the day, even if he doesn't say Almanas, it should be understood as part of the deal that Barry has expectation of Andrew like, to produce a deed of sale between the two of them. Okay. So Eladaita the Kosovo Shtarachrina, right? So it was with the understanding, as we just said, implied that you would write a second deed in my name. So that's what you would have thought. Kamash Malan, that's why the Bryce has to teach us to Amale in Yana Avdilach, right? That that in fact Andrew could say to Barry, I thought that the stipulation, right, was made with the Reish Galusa. Right, in other words, Andrew could say back, it's true that I understand that the deal is between us, but I thought that when you said you were buying on behalf of the Reish Galusa, I didn't realize you were going to make me speak to my lawyers and have me do the extra legwork. I'm the seller, right? I shouldn't have to do the extra legwork. I have plenty of buyers. I, why do I have to produce more deeds for you? I thought that you had a separate deal with the Reish Galusa that he would write it for you, right? In other words, Andrew's saying to Barry that it's true that, it's, that I knew that the deal was between us, Barry, but I thought that you had a separate deal with regards to who's going to produce the deed of sale with the Reish Galusa uh, for, on, on whose behalf you, right, uh, uh, outwardly looked like you were buying it. I didn't realize that you were going to make me give you the second deed afterwards. Oh. And it's for that reason, right, that we say that because Andrew can make that claim, that unless Barry is very explicit, sometimes it pays kosher money, Andrew, to be more explicit in the first time when you're making the deal, right? So there's no misunderstandings like this, right? Who's going to do the extra legwork? Who's going to pay the extra legal fees, right? That's something that you should actually articulate in the original deal. So that's what Andrew's saying. I didn't realize that I was going to have to make the second... Um, that I was going to have to make the second uh, deed, I thought that the Reish Galusa would. Fine. Now, says the Gemara, well, according to Abayi, we know that if that's the case, however, that if you do say Almanas, if Barry is explicit, and he says that I'm going to buy the field on the condition that you'll sell to me again, then we do, in fact, force Andrew to do that. Well, that's Shita, says the Gemara. That too is obvious. Of course, if that's so, so articulated in a deal, and clear to everyone, then of course we're going to make Andrew pay it, uh, re- rewrite the second deed. So why do we even need to learn that? So we still need to write it. Why? Because again, this could be a case where Barry's saying to the witnesses who are at, at they're presiding, right? Matt and, uh, and Yossi Shulman, they're watching over the deal. Matt Bornstein, Yossi Shulman, and they're, they're, they're watching the whole transaction between Andrew and Barry. And at the time of the 
sale, right? The buyer, right, Barry, he's saying to them, watch this. Note, I just want you to understand, Matt and Yossi, that I am going to want another deed from Andrew as well. So he's making it very explicit. Now, you might have thought that at that point, Andrew could say, I thought you were saying to the witnesses that you wanted a second deed from the Reish Galusa. But all you said, really, to the Aden was, I'm going to want another star. And it wasn't clear at that time that you meant that you wanted another star from Andrew, right? All Barry says is he's going to take a second star. Barry meant he was going to take a second star from Andrew. Andrew thought it meant he was going to take a second star from the Reish Galusa. Kamash Malan. So why is the Tana teaching you that we force Andrew to do it? To Amrlay? Because Barry could say to Andrew, you misunderstood. Why do you think I brought the Edim, right, to your, in your presence? So that the Reish, so I could go hock the Reish Galusa? No, the reason I made such a formal, right, um, transaction and came to your office, Andrew, at, uh, where is your office, Andrew? Oh, is that right? Came to your home office. <laughs> Did not know that. Uh, yeah, yeah. So he came to the downtown office. Matt and Yossi flew in from Ramat Beit Shemesh. He made a whole to-do. Why do you think he did that? So the Reish Galusa give you another deed? No. The whole reason we had this explicit pomp and circumstance in your office was because to impress upon you that you have to write the second star. See the, the point? And therefore we are entitled, Barry's entitled to make that claim. Because that means that I wanted it from you, Andrew, the second deed, not from the Reish Galusa. Good. All right. So now, 17 lines down, let's see if we're still with the Bnei Rava's idea as follows. This is a fascinating case. Avkana brought some flax in a pre-sale. Okay? Avkana brought it from Andrew. Andrew was selling flax. Avkana brought, bought some flax in a, in a pre-sale. Now, Andrew had all the flax in his backyard office, okay, and he hadn't given it to Rav Kahana yet. While, before Rav Kahana picked up Andrew's flax, this flax went up in value like you wouldn't believe. So, so Andrew's a good dude, kosher money. The rabbi bought flax from him at $4 a bushel, whatever the denomination for flax is. It went up, before he picked it up, to $400 a bushel. So Andrew figures, kosher money. Why would he want the flax? At $400 a bushel, I'll sell the flax. I'll give him the $400. He can buy whatever he wants, right? So he took his own, you know, initiative. And, right, Zabne Marvase de Chisna, right? Andrew sold, on behalf of the rabbi, Rav Kahana, he sold the flax at a higher price with the intent of giving Rav Kahana the 400 bucks. So again, Rav Kahana puts in $400 to flax pre-sale. I'm sorry, $4 to a flax, flax pre-sale. Andrew has, still has his flax. He sells the flax because it went up so high and gives him back $400 instead of flax. Oh. So also the Kameh the Rav. So the rabbi went in front of his rabbi. <laughs> Avkana goes before Rav and Amalei, Ma'avid, what should I do? Can I take this? Is this indeed kosher money? He wants to know if he could take the money. Why wouldn't it be money? Ezel Ishkil Zuzoi. Can I take the extra money that Andrew gave me? So Amalei, the Rav said to him, It depends. If when Andrew sold it, he said to Barry, who bought the flax at 400 bucks, this is the rabbi's flax, then Zilshkol, then indeed your flax has been sold 
and you could keep the $400. Ve'ilo lo sishkol. And if, when Andrew sold this flax to Barry $400, he didn't say that this was the rabbi's flax that he had already bought, then indeed, then indeed the rabbi can't keep the extra money. Why? Well, Rashi just says two words. Mishum ribis. It's ribis, right? Because Barry, it's like, a, it's, it all depends, right? Barry gave, I'm sorry, the rabbi gave Andrew money. And now Andrew's giving him back tenfold or a hundredfold money. That is ribis. Because if it never, right, if it be, became a loan, so then it's ribis. But if it actually changed hands and was not a loan, but a purchase, then it's not. So let's, I'll, I'll walk you through it again, right? So if Andrew says, when he sells it to Barry, this is the rabbi's, that means the rabbi already purchased the flax, okay? So now the transaction's done. There's no loan, there's no nothing. All we're doing is now the flax is going to eventually, you know, go to the rabbi, but Andrew, amazingly, is selling it on his behalf, right? But if he didn't pick it up yet, and Andrew doesn't specify that this is already the rabbi's, so then the transaction didn't really happen yet. So then it's almost like the rabbi loaned, lent Andrew the money and he's just giving him back more than he borrowed. That would be, right, ribis. It's a fascinating halacha. So first of all, the Gemara says, come on, who is this like? If name Rabba the Amri, right, mi hodiu labal chitin sheyikne chitin labal maos, right, this halacha seems to be that it seems like even if, if the buyers weren't informed, right, if Barry wasn't informed that the flax belonged to the rabbi, then when he paid for it, right, it sounds like they, they, were trying, they were buying it from Andrew. And yet it's still, it sounds like it, the whole transaction works. So is it again, or is it a, or is with the, the B'nai Marava? In other words, why does it matter whether Barry, when he buys this expensive flax from Andrew, why does it matter whether he knows that it's the rabbis or not? Is it because of the B'nai Marava idea? Is it because of their assertion that Barry needs to know who he's buying it from in order for the transaction to take place. That's the thing the Gemara wants to know. Says the Gemara, Wait a minute. The Gemara says, that's not, this doesn't necessarily have to, ha, have to do with the name Arava. In other words, did, Rav Kahana, did the rabbi give Andrew the four zuzim and take back eight, or in our case, four and 400, right? Did he do that? Uh, in the consideration as if it's interest? No. In other words, in the story that we talked about, all the rabbi did was buy flax from Andrew, right? And then it appreciated on its own. There was no loan. There was no issue here. This was not ribis. This was just a financial transaction where the commodity went up in price. What does it have to do with ribis? Ah, that's if you look at it as like the regular transaction between rabbi and Andrew. However, Migzal Gazlua, if the rabbi already owned the flax, right, then really what's happening is Andrew is selling the flax without the rabbi's permission, and that, as we learned from the first Mishnah on a gozel, is as if he's a goslin. That's a, that's a chiddish, right? But really, it kind of is, because after all, the rabbi bought the flax from Andrew. The rabbi paid Andrew and gave him the money. Andrew then takes the rabbi's flax that's in his storehouse, and he's just giving it to somebody else. That's like stealing it from the rabbi and selling it to somebody else. Now, everybody knows Andrew's beyond reproach. He would never do it unless he thought he was doing it for the rabbi's own good, right? He was doing it for 
the rabbi's profit, so you can get a hundred times fold profit. But technically, he took the rabbi's flax, did he not? So if he did so, right, he's technically like as if a goslin, utnan, and we learned in our very first mission on a gozo, kolakazlanim, mishalmi, bishasa, gazela. If that would be true, right, then really Andrew's only uh, obligated to pay the rabbi whatever the flax was, well, was uh, worth when he sold it, right? And that obviously would never be interest because there'd never be a loan. Oh, so, says the Gemara, that's why there's no issue here. And this has nothing to do with the, with the rabbis of Eretz Yisrael. So Amri, okay, so now we said this has, so that's unrelated. So Amri, we said, wait a minute, Hasam Amanahavai. Maybe there was some sort of trust arrangement. In other words, the rabbi advanced Andrew money for future flax, right? Maybe that's what the case is. The rabbi pre-bought Andrew's flax because he knew Andrew was a good flax merchant and that he could trust him. Right? But the rabbi also did not perform Mashiach on the flax. In other words, it was a pre-sale. He gave him the money. He said, give it to me when it's a good price. If that's the case, then Rav, right, who did not allow the rabbi to accept the profit, was actually working according to, consistent with something he said elsewhere. Where? The Amarav, Oisin Amana Bepeiros, Ve'ein Oisin Amana Bedamim. Now, when it comes to pre-sale, when it comes to, you can make an arrangement, right, where he trusts Andrew for the delivery of the produce, but you can't make an arrangement for future cash value of the produce. What does that mean? So that's what Rashi says. Sheba l'shar yoker, says Rashi, l'kabal peirosov, also l'iten l'mocher damim shalachshav, demechzi kiribis. Right? So in other words, you can actually wait. In other words, when, you, when the rabbi buys this produce from Andrew with pre-sale, right? He is actually buying it and he knows that as soon as the arrangements are possible, that the fruit can be delayed in their, in their delivery. But when it comes to the future cash value, you can't make that arrangement because that is a ribis. So again, very detailed sort of abstract minutia of ribis. At what point does it cross over to ribis? It has to do with the expectation, right? Bringing something, so again, Rav is saying, I'll say again, the flax appreciated tremendously in value. So if Andrew just delivers the flax at a high value, so then that's not ribis. You bought it and it appreciated. Nobody would say that that's ribis. But if Andrew is giving him the money value, so then it does look like ribis according to Rav, and it's for that reason that we have to be very careful about the language of how we word it um, you know, if there's a lesson here, it's how careful we have to be with ribis. Uh, and we've learned some sigils here in ribis. And it is counterintuitive a little bit in a world where we think like one hand washes the other, right? That's not so, uh, that's not so much the Torah uh, hashkafa. We are more, uh, we just learned about ribis. This was last, this past week's Parsha. So uh, you're not supposed to want to take an interest. Why do you not want to take an interest? So I have a shot in that pasuk. Um, not no time for my drushes right now, but I will say that why should why should Jews not have ribbons from each other? Because all of Klal Yisrael, if you understood, it says imach with you. It says uh, don't make yourself a creditor to him. Look at the pasuk. It says you shouldn't make yourself into a creditor. What does it mean? You are a creditor, right? You lend him money. He became he became um, poor, and you lend him money. 
So why should, it's a bigger mitzvah even than giving him money, because you give him that sense of right, responsibility and that sense of self-respect. But why shouldn't you make yourself a creditor? You are a creditor. No, the answer is, if you understood that he's imach, that you're all one people, and you're, there's no other. Interest implies another. Like, would you charge yourself interest? No. Right? You're all in on it together. So if you're all in on it together, then there should not even be a, a appearance of if I'm taking it from you, I'm going to take extra because that you see that that means that you treat them like an other. When we have Barry and Andrew here, they're in everything together. So when they're in it together, they're in it for each other. It's just money moving back and forth. It's not a person to another unit of a person. It's both of them together trying to help each other and be zocha to help each other in everything in life. Okay. Now we're at the Mishnah. And we're talking about now the person who buy, who steals something, denies it, swears falsely in denial of having stolen to and stolen it. Now he wants to do tshuva. Okay, so now he wants to do tshuva. He has to, as the Torah says, he has to pay back the principal, pay an additional chomesh, which is really an extra 25%, and bring an asham, bring a korban asham. Question is, how far does he have to go to return it when he does tshuva? Watch this. Okay, a person, anytime you steal something, value v'nish below and swear, denying that you never did it, and then later wants to do tshuva, he has to go all the way to madai. In other words, it sounds like almost like the ends of the earth. You have to really go and return this thing all the way. As Rashi says, the lo kapara atzmo. Right, the Pasuk literally says, there's a Pasuk in Vayikra and a Pasuk in Bamidbar, it says, right, Lasher Hulo. In other words, there's a special idea in the Pasuk, and those two sugyas in the Torah say the same thing, basically, that you have to go back to the guy and return it to the guy. It says the Mishnah, Lo yiten lo livnov, lo lishlucho. You're not giving it to the victim's son that you stole it from, you're not giving it to the victim's shaliach, right? Because, after all, that's the takana, right? That you have to so that you have to return it to the guy itself. That's what the Torah is telling you, okay? So that, even though Mido writes so you have to return it to the guy himself, the, the Gemara says, as Rashi points out, the Shlech Bezdin, it's the second line, line up from the Y, as we've already indicated in previous Gemaras here, that in order to facilitate Shuva, the Rabbanan made some Takana. So one of the Takana says, you could give it in escrow, so to speak, to the Bezdin, right? This way, we don't want them to have the disincentive of having to go to Madagascar to repay Andrew, right? We're allowing him to put an escrow on Bezdin. They'll, they'll worry about it, or Andrew's going to come get it. And, but however, again, this satisfies giving it back to Andrew, but it's not going to satisfy it to give it to his son or to his shaliach. Says the Mishnah, right? If somebody who was, who was victim of theft passes away, then you have to return it to his heirs, okay? Now, Says the mission. Now it's a, a funny, a funny thing. That when the bottom line here is going to be that when you return it, you have to return the principal. This idea of going all the way to Madai has to do only with returning the principal. Is does not apply to the extra kanas of the chomesh. So in the weird case where he, so if he pays the principal and just didn't pay the chomesh, right? So again, he went through the whole procedure. He stole it, denied it swore that it didn't do it, then he did tshuva, now he's going to bring the carbon, he's going to do everything, he's going to give him the principle. But he didn't give him the chomesh, which he's also supposed to give, or in a situation where, for whatever reason, the person who was the victim of theft was moichal on the karen, but not on the chomesh, or in a unique case where 
he's mochel both except for a shavaprut of the karen, right? Less than a shavaprut of a karen, so that does not. The point there is that he has no karen left to pay back. Then einot sarich, right? Um, einot sarich leilach The point there is there's less of a shavaprut of karen left. You only have to go to madai if there's principal left. That's the point, right? So if there's anything less than a shavaprut of principal. Uh, left, you don't have to go chase him. You can go give it to him to a shaliach or whatever. However, however, uh, if he paid back only the chomish, but not the principal, or or for whatever reason the chomish was forgiven, which I can understand, but the principal was not, then and if, or if both were forgiven except for, right, a shavapruta of karen, which is to say, if any pruta is left of the karen, of the original principle, that is what determines it, right? So this, all of these permutations boil down to one thing. If any principle is left over to return, that is what has to be returned personally. Anything less than that, you, like whether it's the Chomesh or less than a Shavaprut of Karen, you don't have to go to the ends of the earth to return it. Finally, Chomesh, a fascinating case. Um, so the, the, the thief is doing kind of a partial tshuva, right? He, gives back, the, he, he swears falsely that he didn't do it. Then he confesses, he says, I did do it. And he pays back everything, but really he only pays back the principal. And then he swears that he also paid back the chomish. Falsely. Oh my goodness. What a guy. So now the, the principal, the chomish becomes the principal, right? Now, what did he steal? The chomish. So now that becomes the principal. And now he's going to have to pay a chomish on that chomish. Until the absurd extreme. Achi, tomorrow it's a Karen Mishavapruta. As Rashi walks you through it, right? Until it's a Chomish of a Chomish of a Chomish. As long as there's more than a Pruta of Chomish, the Chomish is going to become the principal. And then you can swear on it as Rashi says a second time, a third time, a fourth time. This could go on ad infinitum. Uh, not infinitum, though, until it's less than a Shavapruta. Then already we dismiss the case, right? But yes, the Chomish becomes the, the matter of dispute. Um, okay. And then you could have a chomish on a chomish. Similarly, says the Gemara, this would be true of Pikadon, Shinamar, because if you look at the Pasuk, right, it's, it, it says, right, let's, uh, let's say like in Bamidbar, so you bring so the chomish and the asham, right, uh, so I, I should have read the Pasuk in, in Vayikra. It says, this is in, right, um, this is in Vayikra, right, and it goes, uh, so again, it, this applies not just to a theft, but also if a person has a mashkon, a pikadon, right, so that's what the mission is saying here. This is the Mishnah quoting the Pasuk in Vayikra to teach you, right, that all of this that we just said has to do with a deposit or a loan or a robbery or a fraud, right, or even a lost item that he picked up and denied. All of these cases are going to have the same halacha. All of these have, as the Torah describes, the halacha of Karen Chomish and Asham as described, okay? So now the Gemara picks up and says, Nishbalo'in. The Mishnah said that he stole and swore. That's when he has to go even to Madai. That's when he has to. But lo nishbala lo. But if he didn't swear falsely, then he does not have to chase him to Madai. Okay. 
Right, as Rashi says, Lo right, It's only if he swore falsely and now he's doing tshuva. Mani, who's the author? Lo from Lo This doesn't seem to, uh, we, if you remember, Rabbi Kiva and Rabbi Tarfan's machlokis and Yavamos, Kufiyot Ches, when we learned Yavamos, you'll recall that this is like neither of them. The Tanan, what did the Mishnah say? I'll remind you. Remember this case? So he had a guy who was a robber. He knows that he robbed from one of five people, but he can't remember which one. So, of course, each one of the five people says that it was stolen from him. So what do you do? Just let them fight it. Put the stuff, put the object that you stole between them and let them handle it. That was a sheet of Rabbi Tarfon. Rabbi Kiva says, what kind of tshuva is this? Rabbi Kiva is saying, listen, I don't know what to tell you. How is this a tshuva to put it in the middle of the courtyard? At the end of the day, only one of them was stolen from. So if you want to really ensure that you've done a proper tshuva, it's going to cost you five times, five X, but you're going to have to pay each and every one of them. Otherwise, how do you know? If they fight over it, maybe the wrong guy is going to get it. Okay? And therefore, how is that tshuva? Now, our Mishnah, money, is it like Rabbi Tarfan or Rabbi Kiva? In our Mishnah, we said, um, the only difference is whether the robber swore, swore falsely or not. In the Mishnah in Yavamas, it's categorical. It doesn't seem to talk about a swear at all. So let's walk you through it. Rabbi Tarfon. If you hold this Rabbi Tarfon, who again says that you can put it in the middle of the courtyard, then you'd say, So let's say he swore. Let's try to make it categorical in, in Yavamas. So he swore that he didn't take it. Now he's doing tshuva. Now he's going to put it in the middle and he's going to run away. Okay, so that's interesting because that's against our Mishnah. Because in our Mishnah, you can't just walk away. You have to follow the guy all the way to Madai. So that can't be. Okay, so e Rabbi Kiva. What about Rabbi Kiva where you have to give it to each person? So you say, Well, Rabbi Kiva is not going to work categorically either because what if he didn't swear? So he didn't swear. Our Mishnah is, gonna, is not going to make him pay back at all. And yet Rabbi Kiva is saying that you have to pay every single person. So you see, the Mishnah in Yavamas, it sounds like it's categorical, that, it's, that it doesn't matter whether you swore or you didn't swear, there's going to be this machlokas or bitarfan or kiva. But the fact of the matter is, if you didn't swear, then it's weird that the Mishnah in Yavamas says that Rabbi Kiva says he has to return it. And if you did swear, then it's weird that Rabbi Tarfon says in the Mishnah in Yavamas that you don't have to return it. So which is it? Says the Gemara, all Rabbi Kiva. Really, it's Rabbi Kiva who means that you have to return it. Rabbi Kiva in Yevamos who says you have to pay each person. Has to be that the mission Yevamos is talking about where he swore falsely and now he's trying to do tshuva, and it's for that reason that he has to return it. Ratosvus here points out we want we could have said the other way that it's Rabbi Tarfon and that he didn't swear, but we like it better when Rastam mission is like Rabbi Akiva. Okay. So that says the Gemara, we're going to end up proving that this may not be Rabbi Kiva. Anyway, but in the meantime, my time, what would be Rabbi Kiva's halacha that yeah, the rabbi has to pay each one? The Pasuk literally says explicitly you have to return it to each individual. So he swore falsely. Now he wants to do tshuva. He has to repay it. There's no way around it. Okay, so what's Rabbi Tafran going to say? Rabbi Tafran, Rabbi Tafran is going to explain. Even though he swore falsely, now he's trying to do tshuva. There's a takana that Rabbanan did. Why? There was a major takana that the Chazal did. This is a very important halacha that we understand. 
that you have to go, and this is very relevant to our Mishnah. Our Mishnah says that if a person stole something, now he has, and it's swore falsely, and then now he's doing tshuva, he has to go to the end of the earth. Well, not exactly the end of the earth. If he stole $100 worth of stuff, he doesn't have to spend $20,000 in expenses to return it. Not ad kadekach. Like, I understand, if he stole a $100,000 thing, and he has to spend $2,000 to return it, we're going to make him do that. But if the travel expenses exceed the actual theft, we're, that's the takana gadoila that we're not going to make him do. Oh. So by definition, if you're returning it to five dudes, so that's going to exceed it. That's, that's Rabbi Tarfon, right? So according to Rabbi Tarfon, you're going to do like this, right? That in a situation where a guy stole from one of five guys and he doesn't remember which it is, we're not going to force him because of the Takana Gadola, Rabbi Tarfon says, to return it to all five people because that would be 5x what he stole. Rather, he'll give it to Bezdin, they'll handle it, and he gets his kapara that way, okay? He'll pay his chomesh, he'll pay his asham, but he's not going to actually pay all five people. So what Rabbi Kiva say to this? Rabbi Kiva, takanta. How, how are you going to do with this takana? Because he's going to say, the only time that this takana works is if you actually know who you stole from. Then we're not going to make you pay the extra expenses to that one guy, right? So eventually he's going to return it to that person. However, says Rabbi Kiva, that's not what the takana was about. That when you don't know, when you stole from one of five and you don't know which one it was, and it's possible you're not even returning the money to the, to the one guy at all. In that case, the Rabbana did not make such a Takana. And it's for that reason that Rikiva is going to make you pay all five people, despite the Takana, that the, that the payback doesn't exceed the principle. Fine. So five lines up from the wide. Master of Bar Yehuda. Okay. So, Amar Rishimon ben Elazar. Lo nechleku rabitav Rikiva ad al shalokach echad mechamisha ve'eno demeyazim lakach. Right? Rabitav Rikiva agrees. That if you did, if you stole from one, and you don't know which one you stole. That they never argued about. Okay, So when did Rabbi Kiva say that you have to give each one of them? Right. So again, lakach versus gazal. Right. If you if you bought it and you don't remember who you bought it from. So Rabbi Kiva is not going to make you return it. It's only if you stole it, right? So there, Rabbi Tafon Amir Menech to make Gazel by name Mistalik. Rabbi Tafon is still going to allow you to put it in the middle. Rabbi Kiva is going to make you pay each one. Ah, that's a fascinating ha'ara. Then if you're going to say that it has to do with swearing, right? So then what's the difference whether you bought it or whether you stole it? Because as Rashi points out, the evil is in the false swearing. Right? If the evil's in the forest wearing, it doesn't matter this distinction of whether you bought it or whether you sold it. So now we have Od Masiv Rava as we're coming up um, the end over here. Third wide line. This is a quick story. There was a chasid shlokach from Shnei Adam Adam, Be'ezim Lakach, Ubali Fnei Rabbi Tarfon. There was a chasid. He didn't know who he bought it from. So he said, put your money in between them and run away. He went to Rabbi Kiva. Right? That you have to pay each one. The case was a chassid. Would a chassid ever lie? It can't be that he swore. Maybe you say he swore falsely and then he became a chassid. But we know that anytime it says chassid, it can only be Rabbi Yehuda Bava or Rabbi Yehuda Ben-Lai. Rabbi Yehuda Ben-Bava, Rabbi Yehuda Ben-Lai, chassidim demi karahavu. They were always chassidim. They were not balei tshuva. And therefore, we're going to leave it here five lines up from the bottom where really the case is, a uh, different case than Rabbi Tarfon and it's Rabbi Tarfon's uh, 
idea. And with that, we will resume Bezat Hashem next week.